Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast contains mature content and listener discretion is advised. Also, be advised, we are not medical professionals and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. love aliens. And we're in. We're in. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc., the podcast that begs the question, what is format? And does it need to be consistent all the time? (laughs) I have answers to those questions. (laughs) Do you want to know what they are? I'm Maggie. And I'm Kayla. Yeah. The format queen. (laughs) Here are my answers. Mm -hmm. Um format is a lie perpetrated by capitalism okay. and no it does not need to be consistent because nothing matters and time is an illusion oh, okay great i can't believe i was just like worrying about things this whole time but it turns out no 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 don't ever worry about things because things don't really exist oh cool wow that would have yeah. saved me a lot of time if i'd known that sooner i know happy new year everyone happy new year it's 2022. Is it? Technically, if you think that years mean anything. <laughs> I feel like it's 2020 um, part three, but. <laughs> it really, we can, it really We can is. talk about the branding later. It's really more like 2020 two, 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 two <laughs> you know? <laughs> two, it's T-O-O, yeah. <laughs> T-W-O, T-O. Yeah. Well, I think T-W-O. I think on the poster it'll be T O O the number two. Yes, T O the number two. Yeah, that's great. Let me write that down in front of my face so I see what that looks like. <laughs> it's so much funnier when you write it down. <laughs> uh, hot. That was great. I enjoyed that a lot. Me too. Okay. All right, kids, buckle up. Today we are. Covering the third and final part in our three-part series on John Benet Ramsey, um, we're gonna cover the grand jury stuff. We're gonna go over a couple of theories, um, a couple of suspects. It's important to say that we're not accusing anyone of a crime. None of these individuals have been charged with anything. In fact, almost all of them have been cleared by DNA, and that's the plan. So, do you want me to do my sources, then you can do your sources? Okay. So, I used, for my sources, a podcast called The Killing of Jean Benet, The Final Suspects, the CBS documentary The Case of Colin Jean Benet Ramsey, the book Presumed Guilty by Stephen Singular, and multiple really good Rolling Stone articles. Rolling Stone, for some reason, 
covered the Jean Benet case extensively, yeah, and I they did. love That's it. That's true. I've also read several of those articles. Um, I used the Jean Benet Ramsey wiki on chatwiki.com, which, if you are curious about this case at all, it's literally like a Wikipedia of this case. Um, the list Who Killed Jean Benet, which is an ABC 2020 documentary featuring the Ramsey family. And uh, a Thought Catalog article by Chrissy Stockton, which I, the article I used, I liked, but she has a, another article that I think that I sent to you for your part that has some kind of mm-hmm. like erroneous claims in it. So I don't know how I felt about that. But So we last left off in 2008. The Boulder DA, Mary Lacey, had exonerated the entire Ramsey family. Um, Patsy Ramsey died in 2006 of ovarian cancer, but she was posthumously exonerated. Fast forward to October 2013, when the grand jury's report was released publicly, and that report revealed that they actually voted to indict the Ramseys. The interesting part about this is what they chose to indict them with. The report said that the Ramsey parents, quote, did unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly, and feloniously permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation which posed a threat of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of Jean Benet, end quote. And that the Ramses did, quote, unlawfully, knowingly, and feloniously render assistance to a person with intent to hinder, delay, and prevent the discovery, detention, apprehension, prosecution, conviction, and punishment of such person for the commission of a crime, knowing that the person being assisted has committed and was suspected of the crime of murder in the first degree and child abuse resulting in death. So when I originally did this research... I wrote, I don't know what this means. I'm lost. It's just important and confusing. (laughs) And I stand by that. Okay, so. (laughs) Like, I just don't know. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know, like, what it means. My understanding is that the the DA didn't know which Ramsey they thought did it. They knew the, they, sorry, not knew. They were convinced that the Ramseys had something to do with it. But they didn't know if Patsy did it and John covered it up or John did it and Patsy covered it up or someone else did it. And so they couldn't indict either of them for the murder. And so what they did was indict them for covering it up because that this would have like umbrella term covered the idea that either one of them could have committed the murder and the other helped them cover it up. But what is this thing about putting them in a situation which posed a threat of injury? Like, what is that? What situation did they put? Like, what is that referring to? I'm not 100% sure. I, for some reason, part of me feels like it may have something to do with the pageant stuff. Like, I almost. That's what I was thinking. I almost think that's part of the, that narrative that, like, they put this, like, child in harm's way and then I think the other thing it could mean is like if there was long-term abuse that like one of them or both of them was like allowing it to go on Mm. okay I'm not positive but that was my I don't know my interpretation was that it was because they didn't know they didn't have anything really to charge them with but they felt that they were involved and so this was like the closest thing that they could indict them with 
in the hopes that they could get a conviction. But as we know, the DA knew they couldn't get a conviction, ultimately, or chose not to pursue it. So now do you want to talk theories? Yes. Let's move to theories. So last episode, we talked about the Ramses did it theory, RDI. Today, we're going to cover BDI, Burke did it, and IDI, Intruder did it. I will present Burke did it. Disclaimer, we are not accusing anyone of a crime. I do not know what happened. And honestly, I still don't have an opinion on what happened. But here is the Burke did it theory as it is popularly discussed. So John and Patsy worked very hard to protect Burke from the press at the time of the murder, and they eventually filed multiple lawsuits against people in tabloids who were accusing him of killing Jean Benet. Um, Burke was cleared, along with his parents, in 2008 based on the DNA. But then in 2016, CBS released the two-part documentary series, The Case of Colin Jean Benet Ramsey. Promising a complete reinvestigation of the case led by former FBI agent and criminal profiler Jim Clemente and behavioral analyst Laura Richards. So what they do in this is they like basically zoomed and enhanced <laughs> on the 911 yes, call. Yes, they did. And they like decided that they heard talking in the background in this like amount of dead space at the end before Patsy hangs up. And they interpret that talking as three voices, one of whom was Burke, whom Patsy and John had told investigators had been asleep in bed the whole time. I watched this and I tried so hard to hear something. It kind of felt like when I used to go to church when I was little and I like really wanted to believe <laughs> And I just didn't. And I, like, wanted to hear words. And I, like, I wanted to be like, oh, wow, a breakthrough. But it just sounds like... (laughs) So I don't know how they pulled words from that. But here's what they think it said. Burke asking, what did you find? And then John Ramsey shouts to Burke, we are not talking to you. And then Patsy shouts, Oh, my Jesus. Oh, my Jesus. It doesn't sound like that. (laughs) An article that I read said that, like, at the time that it aired, people went to Twitter and were like, is anybody else not hearing anything at all? (laughs) And then Laura Richards tweeted, like, it was much clearer in the headphones. (laughs) Like, we were... (laughs) And everyone was like... (laughs) That sounds fake, but okay. (laughs) No. Um, the Aerospace Corporation conducted a test of the tape in 1997 at the request of the Boulder Police Department. Um, the results were never officially oh, released, sure. but they when were. You, when, when it helps you try to prove the Ramses did it theory, you'll spare no expense, but. You'll go to the fucking Aerospace Corporation. <laughs> so the results were never officially released, but they were released by the Daily Camera. And they are verbatim exactly what Laura says she hears on the documentary. So, and they don't say that. They don't reveal that in the documentary. They're not like, oh, interestingly enough, this is also exactly word for word, literally what the Aerospace Corporation said they heard. Hmm. They just act like it's brand new information. Sure. So from this, 
they extrapolate the theory that Burke was actually awake and therefore that changes the whole timeline. So this is a direct quote from the documentary of their theory. My hypothesis was that I think the Ramses came home at around at around 9:30, 10 o'clock. I think Jean Benet was asleep. I think John did carry her upstairs. Patsy remained downstairs with Burke and served him the tea and the pineapple. I think that accounts for the physical evidence as well as the latent print. Then she got Jean Benet up to make sure she used the toilet so she didn't wet the bed that night. Jean Benet was up. She may or may not have brushed her teeth. That stuff was out on the counter. Then I think she was up and awake enough that she was maybe still hungry and she went downstairs. In the meantime, Patsy continued packing for the Michigan trip. I think if Burke was upset about circumstances or Christmas presents, he probably would have been upset about her trying to snag a piece of pineapple. Out of anger, he may have struck her with that flashlight. Personally, this feels like a lot of jumps. Mm -hmm. That's what they think happened. From what I can tell from going on Reddit, most Burke did it theories are like some variation on this theme where it's like, Burke was actually up. Burke gets mad. Burke hits Jean Benet in the head with something. Parents cover it up. Um, that's like the basic skeleton of the theory. I, I can't tell if it was always a theory and it was always like this in CBS documentary, just like brought it to the public attention or if the CBS theory brought it to the public attention and then it became a popular theory. It's The internet is so deep and vast. And I'm not sure. So I can't say for sure that it started from the CBS documentary. But I know that it brought it to a lot of people's attention if it didn't Mm -hmm. start there. Another thing to note is that Burke did sue CBS over this documentary for $750 million. And they settled in January 2019. So The Burke did it theory is insane to me because, I mean, well, one, he was ruled out with DNA. Two... Being awake in the morning does not implicate him in a crime. And three, no. um, even if he did hit Jean Benet with something by accident, there's I just can't imagine a world in which the cover up is then garroting her. And also, we knew we know that she was alive when she was garroted, so that just doesn't hold any water to me. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. A lot of people will say Patsy said later on, like. If she lost Burke, she wouldn't have anything left. So it was like she didn't want to lose him. So she covered it up. But it's just like that It that doesn't make any sense to me. Just forensically, it doesn't, it doesn't fit with the timeline. No, and also logically, it doesn't fit with like how a human brain works. Yeah. Like I just don't understand why. It, I don't understand why anyone would go to such bizarre lengths to cover something like that up when they could easily have just been like, I mean, not easily, but they could have taken her to the hospital and said, our child son with a temper, you know, got angry. You know, it just like, just doesn't seem like. I agree. And I think as evidenced by the fact that they took John Bonet to the doctor like 20 times in the two years prior to this, I think that's, more proof than anything in terms of like psychologically in terms of the, the, the pattern that if she had been injured, they would have just taken her to the doctor. <laughs> like I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. So that's the Burke did it theory. That's the Burke did it theory. Uh, next we're going to talk intruder did it. 
So Lou Smith, who we discussed last episode, was really the the guy who did all the footwork on this theory. Um, his theory was that someone who intended to kidnap John Bonet broke into the Ramsey house through the basement window that John had left, or that John had broken the previous summer, used a stun gun on John Bonet, tried to put her in the suitcase that was in the basement to get her out of the house. Something went wrong in the process, and that led to her murder. And then he theorized that they used the suitcase to get out of the basement the way they came in, by, like, stepping on it um, and climbing out the window. Let's talk through the evidence for this theory. The most obvious piece is the blood stain. So there was a blood stain on Jomine's underwear, and mixed in with that blood is the DNA of an unknown person. It is male DNA. It is not any of the Ramseys. So we have DNA in the blood in her underwear from an unknown male. Second piece of evidence is the garroting. Um, Since we know that happened before the head trauma, that sort of torpedoes the accidentally hit her in the head theory. Um, I will say that the evidence that it happened before she was killed is Lou Smith evidence. So if you were to ask the Boulder Police Department, they would not say that that is true. We know that she had marks from her own hands or on her neck. Yes. Um, which means she was alive during the garroting. And we also know that there was almost no blood spatter. The lack of blood spatter also helps us with the timeline that the uh, garroting came first. Also, just psychologically speaking, garroting someone and smashing their head is, like, such a personal violent attack. Like, to me, it speaks to just in, if you're if you're talking, if you're thinking like a profiler, it to me, it speaks to it doesn't speak to any of the Ramses. Um, no, even if I was staging a murder, it's it's not something that I would even consider. No. And you you, you would have had to actually murder her in the staging of the murder. Yeah. Like, it's not like they, like, put a string around her neck after to, like, make it look like, you know? Yeah. Third piece is the possible sexual assault. So there's evidence of sexual assault. It's inconclusive. Um, but there's evidence that is consistent with sexual assault. The sexual assault could provide a motive for an intruder. Um, It doesn't rule out sexual abuse by a parent, but it does explain a possible motive for an intruder. The bed was dry, um, according to Lou Smith, which rules out the theory that someone accidentally killed her over bedwetting. Next piece of evidence, Burke was never a suspect. I think this is succinctly explained by the fact that Burke was never a suspect. (laughs) Um, He was never looked at formally by anyone, and he was exonerated in 2008. Nailed it. Uh, There's the high-tech boot. So there was a boot print from a high-tech boot found in the basement. None of the Ramseys own such a boot. There were multiple open doors and windows. This is not something that we touched on, and I found this out in my research later. There were at least seven windows and at least one door that were either unlocked or open the night of the murder. This blew my mind. Me too. Absolutely blew my mind. It's not mentioned in any of the books that I read. It's not mentioned anywhere. And it's interesting because in the places that I read a rundown of like the evidence, 
they all said like John maintained that he locked up the house and the dog was at the neighbors. And weirdly enough, the alarm system wasn't engaged, but nobody said like, oh yeah, they had to run a bunch of Christmas core, um, Christmas light cords through the window. So they left a couple windows open and one of the doors was unlocked. Like no one says that. And I'm like, well, that feels like it was important information, right? Like if BPD really wanted to make such a big deal about how you couldn't climb in through a basement window, let's talk about walking in through the open door. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why were yeah, we focusing? We didn't need to use that basement window. Right. Like, that that basement window may well have been the point of entry, but if BPD's whole thing was that's you have to climb in on, like, a snake on your stomach to get in here, <laughs> um, Lou Smith, well, then why didn't we just talk about literally any of the other points of entry? I don't know. I It, it drives me absolutely nuts that that isn't even mentioned. We're about to get to something even... Nuts, sir. Oh, God. which is I'm ready, but I'm already the mad. tour of homes. So this is also like something that was mentioned so briefly in the sources I read that I didn't like it w- didn't even it wasn't like flagged as important in any way. But I found out that the Ramsey house was on something called the Colorado tour of homes that year. I perhaps naively assumed that this was an exterior tour of homes, like a tour of stars homes or candy cane lane. <laughs> I learned recently from Reddit that the tour of homes is a tour inside the house. And Steve Thomas talks about it in his book. He mostly talks about it in his book to talk about how like Patsy's whole personality was wanting her house to look nice for the tour of homes. And I was like, that's weird. Um, But he says there were cleaning people. There were interior decorators. He said the basement was converted into a bustling headquarters for the guides and servers as some 2,000 people visited the inside of the Ramsey house that year. Like, how did no one mention in all the times that they were like, that house was a maze, you'd really have to know it well, it must have been the Ramseys. No one was going to tell me that, like, they were giving guided tours of the house and that there were, like, 30 or 40 people who were, like, using the basement as a base of operations. Yeah, it's, I mean... Like, no one was going to tell us that. It speaks to how little it was focused on that neither of us even thought to, like, look up the tour of homes because it was never made to seem important at all in any way, shape, or form. Next piece of evidence for the intruder did it theory is the keys. So this is also something I didn't know about. Um, This actually comes from BPD reports. The Ramseys had given out several keys to their house to subcontractors, most of which weren't returned. Also, during the tour of homes, Patsy had told, quote, a variety of people where a key was hidden outside the home under a statue. The key was not found during a check for it after JonBenet's murder. And do we know if they changed, they had changed the locks since the contractor? I do not believe so. But some one source I read said that they gave out like 20 keys and got some of them back. And in the end, there were like three that were never returned, at least. Interesting. Because I know when my parents like do are like doing construction or something and they have a lot of workmen going into the house, they'll give keys to them. And then once the work is done, they change the law. Yeah, that's a smart thing to do for sure. Yeah, my parents are really smart. I don't believe they did that. And at the, at the very <laughs> least, they I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But I don't know. It's a possibility. But who's to say? I also think it's interesting that there was a key to the house like under a statue in the yard. And then after the murder, it was not found. No, I hate that. Um, I think that's really creepy. And I am like, did they dust the statue for finger? Right? Like, I don't know. 
Or maybe they changed the lock and that's why no one ever brought it up. But I do think, I mean, it is in the police. This is, this does come from the police reports. So I think it's interesting again that like BPD had this information. I don't know if there's a reason why they decided that it wasn't relevant. Um, maybe it was just like too much work. <laughs> no, listen, they could have changed the locks. There could be a reason why BPD, why that like this was not yeah. relevant. Let's see. Next are the marks on JonBenet's body. Um, there were a couple of marks, like, on, on her neck that were consistent with a stun gun. And I don't know, if you've watched that documentary um, uh, where Lou Smith explains how he came to that conclusion, it's pretty convincing to me. They also, like, then did stun gun tests, and the marks were consistent. So another piece of evidence in the intruder did it theory is the movies that played into the ransom note so lou smith figured out god i love him so much he figured out that several parts of the ransom note are paraphrased from movies like mostly action movies about kidnapping um on november 29th the movie dirty harry aired on tbs in boulder and in the movie the kidnapper tells clint eastwood if you talk to anyone i don't care if it's a pekingese pissing against a lamppost the girl dies he also says, it sounds like you had a good rest, you'll need it. Which, both of those are like such enigmatic lines from the note. Like, if you talk to a stray dog, she dies. And like, get some rest, you'll need it. And then in the movie Speed, the bad guy says, do not attempt to grow a brain. Which is also a line that is in the note where it says, don't grow a brain, John. Again, like, I guess you could say that like, Parents can also watch movies, but it seems like it's like a, a watcher of these films who's seen them enough to like know the lines and then use them in the ransom note, which just, again, like psychological profile. Some people use that to say like, oh, that shows that it was like Patsy making it up. But I don't I just don't feel like she's a big Dirty Harry fan. So it just seems weird to me. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that Patsy has committed any of Dirty Harry to memory. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that some people use that to spin it the other way. To me, it sounds like a weird guy, right? Like, I don't know. Just in my professional FBI profiler opinion, it sounds like a weird guy. It sounds like a guy that, like, you, like, get a crush on in, like, freshman year <laughs> of college. And, like, you go back to their dorm room and they have all these, like, movie posters up and they're like oh you've never seen insert movie <laughs> yeah. here it's a classic oh you've never we seen ransom <laughs> oh you've never seen speed speed it is great but oh you've never seen speed i just Im- and you're like no i just imagine it like and then it that's like the cold open and then it cuts to um like benson and stabler and bd wong is like got a big picture up on the wall and he's like your suspect is a weird guy profile tells us he's weird and also a guy. The unsub is a weird guy. <laughs> Get Mary Lacey We on all the know this weird guy. <laughs> okay, another piece of evidence is the person on the lawn. In the Lou Smith tapes, he says that there was a neighbor who was a witness that said they saw a person running across the Ramsey's lawn that night. I don't know anything about this witness. That's all I have for you. I don't know anything about that, that but that's... I've heard it bananas. mentioned several times, and I've also heard in Intruder Did It, like, sources, they say, like, 
oh, there may have been someone else with that person on the lawn. Like there may have been two people. So it's like clearly established that there may have been someone on the lawn. Like there was a second intruder on the grassy exactly. knoll. Jesus. Another piece of evidence is the suitcase and the scuff mark. So Lou Smith theorizes that the intruder could have used the suitcase to climb out of the basement window. And there's a scuff mark on the wall that he says could have been left when they were entering or exiting. It's right under the window. You can't miss it unless you're the police. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I have on the list is the duvet. Um, Inside the suitcase, there was a duvet and a pillow sham. Um, a CBI examiner issued a report indicating fibers from the pillow sham and comforter were found on JonBenet's shirt, on her vaginal area, on the duct tape from her hand. And that is consistent with the idea that at some point JonBenet was put in that suitcase. And that, I guess, is part of Lou Smith's theory that maybe she was put in the suitcase to try to take her out of the house. Yeah, that one, that piece of evidence... It's like one of the ones that I have been hung up yeah. on. The fact that there was a duvet and pillow shame in there at all. And the fact that the fibers were found. I just like some like that feels very important. I agree. Because that's also I believe the Ramses said that that's not even where the suitcase lived. Yeah. You like it didn't even live in that. You room. did say that. Did I say you that? did say that in the last episode. So it's interesting to me that it would end up there in the first place and that it would have like a duvet and a sham in it, which is not what you... Well, interestingly enough, I actually have a couple of suitcases that are just full of bedding because that's... I don't have a lot of storage. So like my extra linens and stuff, I put them in in a suitcase and then I put that suitcase in a bigger oh. suitcase. Um, that's so smart. Thanks. So, but they had a 2,000 square foot Tudor revival house. So like, I don't know... Yeah. But maybe that's just, I don't know. But I wish that we knew where it did live because then wouldn't that maybe tell us like where else that person was in the house? Wow. Do you want a job? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Here's the thing. I also get really hung up on it. It's a little baffling to me. It's also weird to me that it's mentioned so not often. The suitcase, like the oh the yeah, sham they only fibers. mention it. The police only mention it to be like, well, Lou thinks someone used it to climb out the window, but no one is. They're never like. And also, where did the duvet and the sham come from? Again, did they live in the suitcase, which I just learned is a thing that you do? <laughs> I've just been shoving things under my bed, or like, did they not live in the suitcase? Were they in a linen cupboard? Was the suitcase in a place far away? Like, yeah. <laughs> also, uh. Again, like this is, I mean, this is just me and I'm not an expert, but putting her in the suitcase doesn't seem like something you would do if you accidentally killed her and then we're trying to cover it up. No. You know, but it does seem like it might, I don't know. Yeah. I I think like Lou Smith's theory makes sense to me that like they put her in the suitcase at some point to like transport her. Maybe when she was unconscious. I don't know. Yeah. It's the only, unless maybe... This is gross, but maybe they, like, put the duvet down on the ground mm-hmm. in the basement when they assaulted her, mm-hmm. and they just put it in the suitcase to hide it. Possible. 
I have no idea. But that would explain how it got on her. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't either. But here we are. I don't like that, but here we are. <sighs> the Jean Benet Ramsey case. Yeah. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will talk about the suspects. Yay. We'll be right Maybe. back. Right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. We're back. Are you ready to get into the suspects? Yeah. Um. So before we get into the suspects, I came across a quote that struck me and I wanted to like say it out loud before we get into this just in the interest of like keeping an open mind as we have been yeah obsessively this whole time so this is from detective John St. Augustine who I believe worked for the Ramses um he's talking about ruling out a suspect simply based on DNA not matching um and he says quote That's not the way you look at an investigation. When you investigate a murder, one of the things that you have to be careful of is not to put all of your weight into a specific aspect of the case. In this case, don't believe that because the DNA doesn't match that there's no way that person can be involved. Just like if the DNA does match, you can't say that you're absolutely 100% positive that person was involved. So now you have to look at that individual and see if there are other aspects of the investigation that points to this individual. I like that. I like it too. I know that we do say all the time, like, well, the Ramses were exonerated with DNA. I think we've also made it clear that we feel like logistically it doesn't make any sense, that theory. Right. But as we move forward, including with the case against the Ramses, let's let's live in that world where it's like just because the DNA doesn't match doesn't necessarily mean they weren't involved. Let's look at the other parts of the case you know yeah I agree that's also interesting because there are some people who think that there was more than one person involved even if it like in an intruder did it situation yes that's actually interesting that you say that because that's what he was talking about I'll get to that later cool um but he was he was he then goes on to say there's also evidence that there are multiple people involved so just because the DNA doesn't match doesn't mean that they weren't there Got it. So you absolutely nailed it. Thank you. Do you want a job? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So first up, we have Bill McReynolds. Bill McReynolds was looked at as a suspect at one point. He is perhaps most memorable in this case because he played Santa at the Ramsey's Christmas party in 1995 and 1996. He had a close relationship with John Bonet. You may remember from the first episode, she brought him a vial of stardust on Christmas Steve Thomas says that she gave him a tour of the house, including her bedroom and the basement that night. Perhaps the weirdest connection in the Bill McReynolds story is that on December 26, 1974, Bill's nine-year-old daughter had been kidnapped along with her friend, and she witnessed the sexual abuse of her friend during the trauma. No one was 
ever arrested for the crime. The Guardian reported that McReynolds had allegedly given John Bonet a Christmas card, which reportedly stated that she'd be receiving a special present after Christmas. And so we can see why they looked at Bill McReynolds. DNA ruled him out. Um, a quote from Bill, he said, the stardust was all I took with me for good luck when I had heart surgery last summer. Her murder was harder on me than my operation. She made a profound change in me. I felt very close to that little girl. I don't really have other children that I have this special relationship with, not even my own children or my own grandchildren. When I die, I'm going to be cremated. I've asked my wife to mix the stardust John Binet gave me with the ashes. We're going to go up behind the cabin here and have it blow away in the wind. Oh, which is like sweet. It's also a little weird since he has his own children, but I mean, if I was his child, I would be her. Yeah. But... Doesn't make him a murderer, obviously. No. Um, no, no. And also I read that they, his, his wife said that he really loved being Santa. And obviously after this, like that kind of like this, like took away that possibility for him and he couldn't play Santa anymore. And he was like really heartbroken about it. And I guess they moved out of Boulder and he started working with the elderly. And that was like what he ended up doing with the rest of his life. Um, but so sad. yeah, this was the, the John Bonet's death and then the subsequent case and him being looked at was like really devastating for him. Yeah. Um, also, didn't his wife, this does not, this is just like a weird coincidence, but did his wife write a play? Yes, she did. About a girl being murdered in a basement? Yes, she did. And people point to that as like, Somehow, like, that he, it means he was involved, yeah. I think it's a weird, weird, chaotic, like, Murphy's Law coincidence. Once again, this is where it's, this case is so chaotic, because what are the odds that on the same day that John Bonet was kidnapped and, or murdered, that his own daughter was kidnapped? Like, it is weird. Um, It's weird. I get it. Like, I I mean, maybe if they had compared the cases it maybe it was the same person like do we know anything about that we don't know and no one was ever arrested okay great 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 (laughs) yes bill mcreynolds passed away and he's is no longer considered a suspect next we have glenn meyer glenn meyer was a 64 year old man who was renting a basement room from the ramsey's neighbors betty and joe barnhill you may remember Betty and Joe Barnhill from the first episode. They were babysitting Jean Benet's dog, Jacques, at the time, as they often did. They also kept Jean Benet's bike in their basement for the Ramses until it was time to give it to her on Christmas, which is where Glenn Meyer lived. Um, they also had a key to the Ramsey house. Glenn Meyer had gone to the Ramsey's house the night of the party looking for the Barnhills, but he was never introduced to John and Patsy. I mentioned this in the first episode. And he was investigated during the first week of the crime. He was fully cooperative with the police. He provided DNA samples, handwriting samples, fingerprints, and hair. He also took a polygraph test on January 1st, 1997. Nothing was found to link him to the crime. He was reinvestigated three times because he did obviously have like proximity and access In 2018, his ex-wife Charlotte Hay told the National Enquirer that she believed Meyer killed John Bonet because she asked him about it and he didn't deny it. She claimed it was suspicious that he had kept newspaper clippings about the case. She also claims that he used up all her savings and couldn't keep a job. As the John Bonet wiki points out, it's not clear why she waited 20 years to share her suspicions and did so in a tabloid interview rather than by calling police. (laughs) We know why. (laughs) <laughs> According to the Inquirer, he was also arrested in 1991 for an assault in a domestic violence case. 
We also know that he was in debt, which is one of the reasons he was considered a suspect, because uh, he may have wanted the money that they asked for in the ransom note. The Inquirer article included a quote from John Ramsey that I can't find anywhere else. Um, but John, in this article, they, it says that John said, Lou Smith told me there was a photo of a Navy Avenger aircraft in the basement with SBTC lettering on it, which seemed beyond coincidental. As we all know, the ransom note enigmatically ended with SBTC victory. John said that Lou told him there was a photo just like lying in the basement. No, in Glenn's basement. Oh, in Glenn's Mm -hmm. basement. Like in his basement room that there was a photo. Oh. So this all comes from, not all, but like this second part of this, since he was reinvestigated initially, comes from the Inquirer. So it's like, you know, some, it could be completely made up. We don't know. I tried to corroborate the Navy Avenger aircraft thing by like trying to find a photo like that, like trying to find a plane that said SBTC on it. I couldn't find one. If anyone has one, I would love to see it. Um, Lou Smith never named Glenn Meyer as a suspect. And we can't corroborate the Inquirer stuff. You can choose to believe his ex-wife or you can choose not to believe her. I don't know. Um, I believe he died in 2005. And I don't know, man, something about like, if all of that is true, I can see why, as the cops would say, like, he looks good for it. But he was reinvestigated multiple times and Lou Smith never named him as a suspect. So there must be a reason. I don't know. Also worth noting, John Ramsey allegedly said that like, they didn't know Glenn Meyer was living in the basement across the street at the time until later he confirmed that he did come to the christmas party looking for betty and joe barnhill but that they didn't meet and then in death of innocence allegedly or apparently he names glenn meyer as like a potential person of interest interesting i would like your opinion on something Mm -hmm. so because it was like 1997 and dna testing was in such it like was in its infancy how much weight can we give to like people willingly offering dna samples like did they know do we think that they did it knowing the weight that it carried to like test the dna or do we think they did it knowing that like the dna didn't really mean that much like how is how different is it to willingly give a dna sample now than it was to do so back then i don't know it reminds me of in that mystery you did where that guy was like uh, for the Bear Brook murders, where that guy was like, yeah, sure, run it. And he, like, thought that he'd have, like, a day oh, to yeah. get out of town. And they were like, great, it's back. It was you. Because... <laughs> yes, that's basically it. It's like, are they being like, yeah, whatever? Or do they just, like, you know? I don't know the answer either. But just something to think about to make this more complicated, you know? Yeah, great. We love that. You're welcome. Thanks. I just want to muddy the waters at every turn. Also, this is a sidebar. I found this in an excerpt from a 2001 article. Five years have not changed some things for former Ramsey neighbor Joe Barnhill. John Bonet's dog, a white Bichon Frise named Jacques, still lives with Barnhill and his wife, Beth. The dog often stayed with the couple when the Ramsey family vacationed before the girl's death, but he became a permanent guest afterward. I think he's mine, said Barnhill, 81. Oh, my heart. <laughs> Jacques. I know. So that's Glenn Meyer, not accusing him of a crime. But that's, he's one of the guys that they looked at. 
All right. So our next suspect is a man named Michael Helgoth. This theory is most aggressively supported by Michael Helgoth's lifelong friend, John Kennedy, who is 100% convinced that Michael killed John Bonet. They met working at a junkyard. Um, John Kennedy says that Michael Helgoth was into heroin. This is a quote. He said he was into heroin, sold weed, and was interested in cocaine. I like that he chose different like verbiage, verbiage for each one. Yeah. Yeah. He also said that he had witnessed Michael Helgoth kill kittens in the junkyard like oh, a lot of times, like heart. enough times that he was, he was us- using the words like usually. No. Yeah. He also said that Helgoth had a stun gun that he would like stun people with for fun. Michael was also described as deviant. One of his old girlfriends said that when she was 16 or 17 in 1993 or 1994, he made her shave all her body hair off and then made her do, quote, different sexual things. Um, One time he was babysitting his then girlfriend's child and she came home and found him naked under the sheets with her. And then he said he couldn't trust himself with her daughter. And then one day in 1996, apparently he just like said to John out of the blue, I wonder what it would be like to crack a human skull. And then in mid to late November of 1996, Michael Helgoth told John Kennedy that he like couldn't wait until Christmas because he and a partner had what he called a quote killer deal and that they were each going to make 50 to $60,000 at Christmas, hmm. which is about half of 118000 just mm-hmm. saying. And then after Christmas, he said that the deal had gone south. Then... In February 1997, Alex Hunter, Boulder DA, held a press conference in which he said that his department was close to a breakthrough on the case. And within hours, Michael Helgoth was found dead. It was ruled a suicide, but he was shot in his lower torso at an angle of 45 degrees upward from the left to the right. And they found the gun wrapped in a blanket on his left side. And he was right-handed. Not one of those things, like, screams suicide to me, but what do I know, you know? Right. Um, They also found in his apartment a pair of high-tech boots. So one source says that the police department got Helgoth's DNA. One source says that they did not get his DNA. Um, in 2000, Mark Beckner said that they tested the boots and they weren't a match and that there was nothing that tied Helgoth to the case. One source says he broke up with his girlfriend and was depressed because his sister had just been diagnosed with cancer and therefore was, it was likely that he was suicidal. And then one source said that he talked to his girlfriend on the phone that day and everything was fine. Um, the boots were given to Ollie Gray, the private investigator for the Ramses, by John Kennedy. And Ollie Gray then gave them to the police department. And after Beckner made his announcement, apparently Ollie Gray remained unconvinced that Helgoth wasn't involved. Um, But then it also seems like the only thing tying Helgoth to the case is John Kennedy. So, like, I, he's been exonerated by the police. To me, it seems like the only thing tying Helgoth to the case is Kennedy, so I, you know, I'm not sold at all. It could be hearsay. Yeah, he could have been after the reward. Everything we know about him, we know from John Kennedy. Exactly. Basically. And then I also read something that said, like, 
that Helgoth's family said he wasn't even that close to John Kennedy. So it's like, I don't, I don't know what's true. Know. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. So that's Michael Helgoth. You've got to talk about him when you're talking about the Jean Benet case because he like keeps being touted as like one of the top suspects. But who's to say? So our next suspect is Gary Oliva. On December 12, 2000, the Boulder Police Department arrested Gary Oliva on the University of Colorado campus on allegations of criminal trespassing, marijuana possession, and possession of a weapon by a previous offender. In his backpack, they found a photo of Jean Benet, a stun gun, and a poem titled Ode to Jean Benet. At this time, um, Oliva willingly gave hair and other samples. Boulder Police Department tested it. It wasn't a match. In 2002, Oliva was in jail in Boulder awaiting extradition to Oregon for violating his parole in a case that I need to do as a side note. In Oregon, he assaulted a seven-year-old and then during the assault threatened his mother saying I should have killed you a long time ago and when the sheriff arrives they'll find you dead and then he took a phone cord and wrapped it around her neck and tightened it he was put in jail for 17 months and then on a three-year probation and he was violating that parole while he was in jail for violating that parole he gave an interview to the post in which he said Jean Benet's murder touched me very deeply. I feel she was an exceptional girl whose death was an exceptional loss. I felt the need to build a monument, a shrine, to remember this little girl. He did actually build a shrine. They found a shrine to Jean Benet in his apartment, I believe. I'm not sure when they found it, but I feel confident saying they did. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not aware. That was to everybody. Oh. <laughs> Email us if I'm wrong. So then... In 2016, he was arrested on child pornography charges, and regarding this arrest, the Boulder Police Department said, quote, the focus on him has to do with this new case. We are not in a position at this point to say if he, to say if he is being looked at in connection with Jean Benet. We are not comfortable ruling anybody in or out as a suspect in connection with Jean Benet, including Mr. Oliva. And then on January 10th, 2019, the Daily Mail dropped a bombshell they have an article titled exclusive, quote, I killed Jean Benet Ramsey, end quote. Convicted pedophile Gary Oliva has confessed to the murder of six-year-old pageant princess in prison letters to his friend, claiming it was, quote, an accident. I am going to isolate that audio of you admitting to killing Jean Benet Ramsey, <laughs> and I am going to sell that also to the press, just so you're aware. As long as we split the profits, that's fine. Okay, great. I was four at the time, so... <laughs> and i and i didn't own any high-tech boots did you sure. miss the whole thing where they <laughs> yeah accused the nine-year-old i'm just saying i'm just saying age isn't gonna save you from Damn this it. i did have like adult man-sized feet already though <laughs> yeah that's <true. laughs> um so apparently gary oliva wrote letters to his former high school classmate who is now a music publicist named Michael Vale, who sus has suspected... This is all from a Daily Mail article, so just Take it with a grain spoonfuls of salt, yeah. of salt. But he has apparently suspected that Gary was involved for 22 years. And it all started because late at night on December 26th, 1996, allegedly Gary called Michael Vale sobbing and said... 
I hurt a little girl. And Michael tried to get more out of him. And that, but all he would say was that it was in the Boulder area. And then the next day when he saw the headlines, Michael immediately called the Boulder Police Department and they never got back to him. And then three months later, he tried again and he was sent to the tip line voicemail. He left a message, never heard anything. And apparently he stayed in touch with Gary since then, hoping that he would eventually get a full confession. And he did, allegedly in these letters, Apparently, because Gary Oliva thinks he'll go to hell if he doesn't admit it. Um, here are some poll quotes. Quote, I never loved anyone like I did Jean Benet, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die. It was an accident. Please believe me. She was not like the other kids. End quote. Quote, Jean Benet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. I realized I was wrong to kill other kids, yet by accident she died and it was my fault. End quote. Quote, I pleaded guilty to the murder of Jean Benet as well as countless charges of assaults and sexual abuse against many children. There were various agreements made by me and the court, which I signed many papers. End quote. Quote, I'm a serial murderer. I have a disorder that cannot be stopped. I've told the detectives all the murders I can remember. All of them pan out. They just can't prove any of them. End quote. So the Boulder Police Department has these letters and their official statement is, the Boulder Police Department is aware of and has investigated Mr. Olivas's potential involvement in this case. We have passed the additional information you provided on to investigators. We will not comment on any actions or the status of this investigation. Now, last thing to say about Gary Oliva, apparently, and this is again from the Daily Mail, so spoonfuls of salt, in the arrest report of Gary Oliva, this is what they said they found. It read, additionally, there were approximately 335 photos that had something to do with redacted. Some were regular photographs of her likely found online. Of these photographs, 19 were images from redacted autopsy, likely from the photographs that had been leaked to the press in years past. There were also many photographs of what appears to be shrines to redacted. It is unknown where these shrines are located or if they were created by Oliva or not. I observed in the contact section of Olivo's phone, there were many references to redacted. In the video section of the phone, I found several videos that were tributes to redacted as well. Two things to note, the handwriting on the notes to Vail does not match the handwriting in the ransom note. Lou Smith also discovered that Gary Oliva had attended a candlelight vigil for Jean Benet, like soon after her death, because someone filmed it and he like saw Gary Oliva in the video hmm. of the vigil. Mm-hmm. But again... His DNA was not a match when they arrested him in 2000. So all of this is, you know, we're not medical professionals. Right. Interesting. It's interesting. I A lot of it is from tabloids. So yeah. I can't even tell, like, what we can believe. The letters thing is intriguing, but does feel... There, all I will say is that I, there's a number of professionally taken, like, headshots of Michael Vale looking very serious holding letters. And that, to me, just, like, smells fishy. In all of the suspects who are named suspects only in tabloids, for me, it's always just, like, qui bono. Like, is it your ex-wife? Is it your high school classmate? Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. Just something to think about. Who benefits? So my last suspect is Randy Simons. Randy Simons was Jean Benet's primary pageant photographer and had been working with her for a few years when she was murdered. 
he was a popular pageant photographer in the area and was like very high end, like a high end pageant photographer. He helped people like build portfolios. He worked with people for a long time. So pageant mothers in the area who had been on the circuit with Jean Benet and Patsy reported that since the murder, Randy had been calling them in the middle of the night, hysterically screaming and crying, saying that he didn't kill Jean Benet and that they were, quote, mystified because no one was looking at him as a suspect and that and they'd never seen him behave this way before. Someone who like spoke extensively about this was Pam Griffin, Jean Benet's seamstress, who said that she also got a bunch of phone calls from Randy and they were all just like totally unhinged. And on one of them, he told her that he was scared because he didn't have an alibi for December 25th and would not then explain to her why he thought he, he would, would need one. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, Randy Simons was questioned by detectives early on, but was ruled out. But then Randy says in presumed guilty that they only asked him about his the relationship between Patsy and Jean Benet and like didn't ask about him or like his whereabouts or like if he was a pedophile. Like they didn't ask him right, anything. Because they were focusing on whether or not Patsy did it. So they were like, Did you notice anything weird about Patsy and Jean Benet? And he was like, No. No, not about them. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. About Patsy and Jean Benet? No, no. nothing weird. Yeah. Anything weird. else or just about them? Just them? No, nothing weird. Yeah. He sold a portfolio of photos to, of Jean Benet to the press for $7,500 in 97. And there's a lot of speculation about this. Some of the pageant moms say that he told them in the late night phone calls that the news agency that he sold the photos to, Sigma, gave him an ultimatum. Like he was being hounded and hounded to sell these photos. And they gave him an ultimatum, like, turn over the photos by midnight on, I think it was January 7th, or we we're going to release photos of JonBenet that will embarrass everybody who knew her, and that's why he sold the photos. But then, like, later he was like, that's not true. I sold the photos because people were coming after me asking for, like, dirty pictures of her, and I wanted to prove that I didn't have those. And, like, so I gave them my photos of her so that, whatever. There's, we don't know. It seems to me like he sold them for the $7,500. Well, the point about the $7,500 is that I think that's a really low amount. Mm. It doesn't, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've I guess never I don't sold know the photos going rate to the in press. 1996 yeah. <laughs> for paparazzi tabloid photos. I don't know. In 1998, Randy Simons was arrested for indecent exposure after walking nude down a street in Lincoln, Colorado. And apparently, I read this somewhere tablespoon of salt apparently as the sheriff approached him he yelled i didn't kill jean benet i'm so tired i know randy's dna didn't match but this is where detective saint augustine comes in and says that that doesn't mean that he wasn't involved he suggests that i don't tell me if you have heard this too were there two sets of footprints i haven't heard anything about footprints but i've heard people allege that they're is evidence that there were multiple people involved. Yes. I don't know what that evidence is, but... I don't either. Augustine says footprints, but I don't know if that's true. Um, but he does say, like, there could have been the killer and the lookout. Mm -hmm. Also, being involved in this crime does not necessarily mean you were present at the murder. Oh, yes. We'll get there. In September 2021, Randy Simons was convicted on 15 counts of first-degree encouraging child sex abuse and sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was caught because a restaurant reported to police that someone had been using their Wi-Fi to download, quote, inappropriate images, and that turned out to be Randy Simons in the restaurant with child pornography. 
It was, yeah, Colonel Mustard in the conservatory. With a lead pipe. Yeah. Um, so something interesting, and this, so this can get muddy very quickly. So I'm going to try to not muddy it, but Stephen Singular, who wrote Presumed Guilty, thinks that perhaps Jean Benet was, quote, exposed to a subculture reaching far beyond her family, which exploited young children and their images, and end quote. And that Randy Simons may have aided or led to that exposure. So when you say, like, being involved doesn't necessarily mean that you killed her, you know, perhaps, because we know now that Randy dealt in, or at least consumed, child pornography. Right. There's a lot of speculation about, like, especially, I think it was Pam Griffin who said, like, he definitely had the ability to, like, manipulate images, And then this kind of ties into, which is the whole point of the book, uh, Presumed Guilty, this recall when Stephen Thomas said that the DA told him that indicting the Ramses was a political decision. Not indicting them. Either way. Oh. That the decision of whether or not to indict the Ramses was a political decision. So Stephen Singular thinks that there is like this underground pedophile child abuse ring in Boulder and that Jean Benet was exposed probably through pageantry to that group and that group is made up of like some of the most powerful people in Boulder and that they are who killed Jean Benet or somebody involved in that group killed Jean Benet or it had something to do with that and that's why it was a political decision because like, you could dig it if you dig. It's sort of like what we're seeing you know. with Glenn Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Exactly. Like the it's, idea that yeah. there are farther reaching implications. Yes. That the implications are much deeper and scarier, if possible, than, like, a little girl was murdered in her home. Yeah. Or deeper and scarier than the idea that, like, a lone wolf did something unhinged. Exactly. And... And so Stephen Singular thinks that's why, you know, the DA in this book, he talks about like going to the, all these people in charge of the investigation and saying, like, have you looked into child pornography? And they would be like, um, we haven't. But like, you can wink, wink, you know, like, so we don't I, I, it's a lot. And if you want to know more about it, I highly recommend reading Presumed Guilty. It's a very well written book, um, but something to think about. I don't know. I don't have any money. Please don't sue me. (laughs) Yeah. That is the opinion of Stephen Singular. And we are reporting that opinion. Yes. So that's, that's Randy Simons. Again, we have no idea. We don't know. He, his DNA doesn't match. But again, what did St. Augustine say? That doesn't mean he wasn't necessarily, he didn't have a hand in it. Yeah figurative hand um we're not accusing him of a crime outside of the ones he's been charged for a wild ride also if he really did yell i didn't kill jean benet like that may have been genuine but he may have been like connected somehow to the person who did that's, that's why thought. he said that i think people keep saying that that's like super suspicious he must have killed her but i think that he's saying like okay i don't think it's possible that what he's saying is I didn't kill Jean Benet. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is that is that the suspects? 
I think we've wrapped that's, them up. That's the sus facts as I think we have deemed them worth getting into. Loose ends. Oh my god. There's so many loose ends. We're not going so, to be tying them. We're just going to be looking at them. Okay, yeah. We're going to muddy. I keep saying let's not muddy the waters, but here you go. Um, things we still don't know. The source of the duct tape and the white cord. Uh, I know that Steve Thomas tried to, like, get the Ramsey's credit card records because he was convinced that they bought the duct tape and the white cord from this store nearby like he was convinced and they just like kept going after it so convinced that he went there and they were like we don't have a record of that but it is like 2.99 for duct tape and someone could have just like keyed in 2.99 and steve thomas was like i don't know sounds like she bought the duct tape to me yeah ridiculous um something interesting is that Pam Griffin says that there is a photo of her daughter who also did pageants that Randy Simons took in which her daughter is holding like a kite prop that Randy Simons made. And she says that during one of her phone calls, Randy Simons was like, do you remember that picture of the kite? Do you recognize the kite string? And no, I guess Stephen Singular said that the the cord that the kite is tied to looks very similar to the cord in Jean Benet's case. Again, cup of salt, but I don't know. We don't know. They. The point is they never found the source of the duct tape or the white cord. And then I also read somewhere that the cord hasn't been tested extensively. Like maybe they haven't untied it or something like that and they haven't tested like where it was tied. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. And that's frustrating. A place called Bodhi Labs was given five items by the DA in 2008, and only one of them was tested. Okay. So I don't know what those items were, and I don't know what's happening with them. Um, We don't know anything about the stun gun. We don't know if a stun gun was used because the police wouldn't let them investigate it. We don't know where the stun gun came from. Um, There's a lot of talk about whether the Ramses had a stun gun or even knew what a stun gun was. I know that the Burke did it theory purports that the wounds, the quote abrasions actually came from like the tip of a railroad, like a train track toy. Mm -hmm. Like we have no idea. Uh, We don't know. The high tech boot is like a big thorn in my side. So yeah, we've, we've read sources that say the boot print is unidentified. We've also, there was this whole thing where in the grand jury, which the record of the transcript is sealed. We don't have access to it. But the lawyers later went back and forth saying that Burke told the grand jury that he owned high-tech boots. Um, What he allegedly said was that he had boots with compasses on the laces and he enjoyed pointing them in different directions because of the compasses, Uh, which would be consistent with the high-tech boots that, like, came out around that time. They had a children's line. Patsy maintains that she doesn't remember buying him high-tech boots. It doesn't mean that she didn't. It doesn't mean that he didn't have them. Um, Whether or not he did doesn't obviously implicate him in the crime if that was burke's footprint it could have been, i mean there's also like a handprint on the door that was their neighbors you know like it if if the boots were burke's 
they could have just been down there from all the time he spent playing with his train track set in the basement. Like we don't, we don't know. Um, also on Dr. Phil, uh, the Ramsey's attorney states that no one in the Ramsey family had those boots, but Burke told Dr. Phil that he had boots with compasses on the laces. He said he didn't remember the brand. So we don't know, but there is a possibility that those boots could have belonged to Burke. Although the thing to me is like, what size were they? I know it was a partial boot print, but did they look like children's boots? I mean, that's why it's in the loose ends section, I guess. I've seen a lot of people on Reddit asking that question. I haven't seen any answers. Yeah. Um, I will say that everything I've read up until like learning about this said that nobody in the Ramsey family had high tech yeah, boots. Me too. That's what I read too. So just something interesting to know. Um, another thing we don't know is the time or location of her death. Right. Which is just mind-blowing to me. We just don't, like, we don't know when or where she died. That I don't have anything else to say about that. That's just, like... Yeah, it's just, it's kind of wild that we, it's, we don't have that information. It's wild. And then there's the issue of the DNA. Yeah. We just don't know who's, <laughs> whose DNA it is. We don't know. We don't know what's being done with it. We don't know whose it is. I can't really even get a grasp on, like, how much of it they have. There are people who say, like, the touch DNA testing is unreliable and shouldn't even be considered. Yeah. And there are some people who are saying, like, we wouldn't be anywhere without touch DNA. I just, like, I don't even know what to believe. I don't know what's true. So then there's the Primarchs. Um... The crime scene photos show pry marks on the back door of the Ramsey house near the basement window. Um, investigators were able to determine that the pry marks were already there before the night of the 25th. But uh, on Dr. Oz, uh, John Andrew is like, but doesn't anyone care that like clearly someone tried to break into the house at some point before, even if it was not the night of the murder? Like, and I feel that way too. Like if someone was like casing the joint, doesn't anyone think it's weird that someone was trying to break in the back door before the murder? But we don't, I mean, we don't have any, we don't know anything about it, really. We just know that they're there. Uh, Lou Smith passed away in August of 2010. John Ramsey came to his hospital bedside and spoke at his funeral. In his eulogy, he said, I had the opportunity to visit Lou a week before he died. Remarkably, during that time together, he talked a lot about the case. He hadn't given up. He never, never, never gave up. When Lou died, he told his daughter, Cindy Mara, I have a name. I want you to write it down. That's where you start. And since then, his daughter, some of their family, and some of his old homicide partners have formed a team to carry on Lou's work on the case. And in the ABC documentary, which aired in January of 2021, they said that they provided the BPD with their list of top suspects and who their team had eliminated using DNA. Cindy says she doesn't believe at this point that they're actively investigating this case. John Andrew Ramsey said, The family has not lost the will to fight and the will to find the killer. We work on this daily. There's a group of dedicated volunteers that work on this daily. He said, I think it's really important for people to understand that this case can be solved. There's a narrative out there that this is an unsolved homicide and that we just have to accept that as a fact. And that is not the truth. If we leverage the evidence, we follow the facts, we will find this killer. So on the 25th anniversary, the Boulder Police Department put out a statement. This is what it says. 
As of December 2021, the Boulder Police Department has processed more than 1,500 pieces of evidence related to the murder of JonBenet Ramsey. JonBenet was six years old when she was reported missing on December 26, 1996, after her family reported finding a ransom note inside their home in the 700 block of 15th Street. Her body was found in a basement room and a later and a later autopsy revealed that the cause of her death was strangulation. As of December 2021, that evidence has included the analysis of nearly 1,000 DNA samples. The BPD Major Crimes Unit has received, reviewed, or investigated more than 21,016 tips, letters, and emails, and detectives have traveled to 19 states to interview or speak with more than 1,000 individuals in connection to this crime. Thanks to the huge advances in DNA technology, multiple suspects have been run through the system to check for matches. CBI has updated over 750 reference samples with the latest DNA technology. The Boulder Police Department worked closely with CBI on future DNA advancements. Additionally, Boulder Police have worked with CBI to ensure the DNA in the system can be compared correctly to new DNA samples that have been uploaded to ensure accuracy. That DNA is checked regularly for any new matches. As the department continues to use new technology to enhance the investigation, it is actively reviewing genetic DNA testing processes to see if those can be applied to this case moving forward. Anyone with information related to this investigation is asked to contact our tip line at 303-441-1974, Boulder's Most Wanted at bouldercolorado.gov, or Northern Colorado Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, or www.nococrimestoppers.com. I have two things to say about this. Is it that they were like, we've checked multiple suspects? Because that wording to me felt like that's not enough. First of all, it is the wording of received, reviewed, or investigated. Yeah. Like, did you receive them or did you? You're exactly correct. It reminds me of like, I feel like if someone was like, oh, did you do the dishes? And I was like, I have seen, (laughs) touched, and washed hundreds of dishes. (laughs) I have... Received, reviewed, or investigated some or all of the dishes. It feels like a very long-winded way to say, like, we're not doing anything. Yeah, also, like, we've updated our reference samples. What does that mean? the phrase, I don't know. Also the phrase that they work closely on future DNA advancements. You know what that tells me? That you're not using any of the DNA advancements that we have now. Yeah. One of my main issues is that as you know people who are investigating now will say like they could solve this probably in a day if they were given the proper support if they were using genealogical testing to do genealogical testing they did it with the fucking golden state killer they can Mm -hmm. do it with this they want to and the boulder police like will not let help them and they do the like team that's investigating it does not have the power to like get any more testing done the tests that Bodie labs did were so long ago that like they're no they're not enough to do genetic testing with and the boulder police then comes out and says like we're working closely on future dna advancements like what a fucking slap in the face i've also read and like this is just to you know both sides it a little bit i have read i read somewhere that like one of the reasons might be because they don't have enough dna to like keep running tests regularly so it's like they're waiting until like if we use up the last of what we have on tests that could well come back inconclusive now that we'll wish we had it later so i have read that like the theory that maybe they're withholding some of the DNA because they don't want to use it up on tests that they think are not going to be 
conclusive. I think that sounds like something that you should could say say in like a press release about the 25th anniversary of a crime. Well, they didn't say that in the press release. No, though. that's what I'm saying. I'm saying oh. a press release on the 25th anniversary is the perfect time to explain yourself. Because yeah. that's a totally legitimate reason to not do DNA testing right now. Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to accuse BPD of doing anything more than I've been accusing them of doing for the past three hours of recorded <laughs> podcasting of me. But I will just say that my sincere hope is that they're playing this close to the vest for a good reason. Yes. Like my sincere hope is that there's a reason that they're not letting on what's going on in the department. And I'm hoping that it's because they're making huge leaps and bounds in the case and that we're closer than ever to solving it. I don't know that that's true. It sounds like people who are close to the case don't believe that that's true, but that's my sincere hope is that, they're holding they're withholding information because they're playing it close to the vest for a good reason. Yeah. I also hope they're holding it close to the vest for a reason. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say I bet they are. Yeah, I bet they are too. I do genuinely think and like we've talked about this before, I do think that we're like within 10 years of solving this case. Yeah, easily. It entirely depends on the moves that the main players in the investigation make. Yeah. In the next 10 years, but yeah. I think we'll know. I think we'll know in our lifetime. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully even sooner than we think. Oh, what a treat that would be. This was a doozy of a case. Yeah, this story, I mean, we've talked about it extensively, but I just, I understand why it captures people's hearts and minds. And I do think the most important thing in all of this is how much JonBenet became a footnote in her own story. Just it's like it's just like it's heartbreaking for more reasons than sort of the surface reasons. And I'm glad that we were able to look at this story in I think from from a different perspective. Yeah, I mean it was certainly from a different perspective than I anticipated when we first decided we were going to do it. It's not where I thought this was going to go. Um I thought that I was going to land on something. Like, I th- I thought that I would think have at least a theory. And I really don't. I think there's more. I think we, we don't even know what we don't know about this case. I agree. I think that what I think at this stage is that an intruder did it. But I feel like that could be so many things. I don't know. That's really all. All that I think that I think. I'm inclined to agree with you. I feel like, and maybe this is just because this is who I am as a person, but I do, I just feel like there's something at play that we don't know is at play. I agree. I don't know what it is. I just feel like there's one or more levels to this that we have no idea are even at play. Yeah. But I'm inclined to believe that it was someone outside of the family. Yeah. We just don't know. We just don't know. Great work. Great work. Thank you for listening. I hope that this series helped someone somewhere, somehow. (laughs) Yeah. 
Or that you learned something. Or that you were entertained. Yeah. All right. And thus concludes the JonBenet Ramsey series. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Buckle the buck up. Smooches. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.